Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made And I wish that I could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Just walk with your Like a lesson learned Walking out from the cave Now in the light Respectful of all these words I This is Monica, and I'm your host. Today is April 10th, 2012, and today we have a very special guest. We have Michelle Dunbar from St. Jude's Retreat. She is the executive director, and I am going to bring her on right now. Let's see. This is Hi, Michelle. Are you there? Hello? Hello, Michelle, are you there? Maybe this is... Okay, so is that not Michelle? Let's see. <clears throat> well, she's going to call in. Hi, Kenneth. Um, we're going to talk about a... Is that you in there? Um, I'm waiting for Michelle Dunbar to call in. And um, we're going to talk about one of the few uh, treatments, I don't even call it a treatment, centers that are, excuse me, they have three places, and one is 
wait, where is it here? St. Jude's Retreat House. There is a mountain retreat. There is a Twin Rivers retreat. She is in upstate New York, and um, then there's an executive retreat. And it's a non-disease-based program. Um, the program highlights it has 17 years of experience, and um, they have you know state-of-the-art fitness centers and professional chefs. And uh, I guess the executive to retreat has, <clears throat> excuse me, they have, uh, I guess you can have private bedrooms. So um, I am sure, let's see what's going on here. Oh, here we go. So let's see. Hi there, you're live. Hi, it's Michelle. Oh, oh hi. Oh, are you there? <laughs> I'm okay. here. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Did you call from a different line? I, I did. I did. I, I called. <laughs> so I had you on two phones at once, but, yeah, for some reason you couldn't hear me on my other phone, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's good, too. Even what happened to me when the show started, I was trying to, I brought up, you know, uh, your I was looking for your website, and you know how there's those pages at the top of your windows when you're opening a bunch of windows, and yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get back to my on-air page, and I was just like, oh no, it's like, oh my god, this is like, I've never had that happen to me. Um, <clears throat> so I was looking at, uh, we can start off with saying I'm talking with Michelle Dunbar. She is the executive director of the St. Jude's Retreat, and. Um, I really like that it's not called St. Jude's Rehab or St. Jude's Treatment yeah. Center. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about um, the retreat, why it's called that and not a rehab, and how long it's been around, and just little basics for people who don't know about it. Okay. Um, well, St. Jude's has been here since 1992. Um, we opened our first house under the name the Hegman Guest House. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we're we don't call it rehab or treatment is because that is not what we provide. Mm-hmm. We we don't provide a, a, a you know a you don't need to be treated if you're not sick. And <laughs> the idea, I mean to put it bluntly, the idea mm-hmm. that people have a disease for which they need treatment for, um, mm-hmm. not only is it is it inaccurate, but is it's actually harmful to people to think that way. Wow. Um, and that's been based on our research. So yeah. so. What we provide is a, it really is a retreat of sorts um, where people get to come and relax and, you know, we don't plan every moment of their day because it's important that they learn um, how to structure their own day when they go home, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like everybody else does. And <laughs> But we do provide them with classes um, mm-hmm. where they can, where they're taken through a process an actual, there's a beginning and an end. It's not, you know, daily therapy or anything like that, um, where they go through this process of identifying um, what their thought patterns are, behavior patterns are, and how they can actually change those um, to build the life they want. <clears throat> wow, it sounds great. Now, do you have you ever had, like, a conference up there for people who are working the field um, all over the country or maybe on the East Coast who could come together. Have you ever done that up there? Do you have you know, like a conference? We hmm. haven't yet. Yeah. Um, we, what we've done, we about four or five years ago, it may even be longer than that now, we 
did a program where we we opened it up where people could come and learn mm -hmm. about what we do and could possibly translate that into their own retreat type scenario. Yeah. Um we we did it for about a year and what we found unfortunately was everybody has their own agenda <laughs> for the most part out of about 10 people that signed up um, they had their own agenda, and they were morphing it to something that it wasn't supposed to be and that we wouldn't want to put our name on. Right. I know people got some information and still have offered programs that are better than, than a treatment program. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whether they went the real, most of them went the religious route, which were definitely, even with the St. Jude name, not a religious program. Yeah. Interesting. Have you been interviewed by um, television um, talk show hosts? Uh, that I mean, these I would say reporters, maybe, let's see, like uh, Anderson Cooper or um, the guy from the UK. Have you guys have been interviewed? <clears throat> Not yet. Not yet. We haven't, and and we've mm -hmm. we've actually turned some of that down. Um, we had an opportunity to be on. I can't remember the name of the talk show. As of five or six years ago, mm -hmm. Ricky Lake wanted us to be on her show and yeah. after we had released the home program um and then one other wanted us to be on television after we released the home program and we said no simply because we don't have the capacity and uh, and at that yeah we don't we have about enough beds for 50 people yeah. um and they're full most of the time mm -hmm. so um yeah. we just we didn't want you know this big influx and then be have to turn people away. Right, you would be really bombarded. Interesting, um, but the philosophy of what you just said now that needs to be heard around the world. Um, if you could just say it again about I wasn't a treatment center. You just said it's not if you don't, if you're not sick you don't need to be treated. Correct. That's, yeah. Correct. Um, because you, you know, don't have. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it, it, I have answered the phones the last ten years here, and mm -hmm. uh, you know I'm not I'm not on them as on the front lines of the phones as much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I do answer them once one evening a week, Sunday evenings, um, to because I'm you know it helps with program development to to be able to talk to people right. uh, fresh. And right. you know, and there's there's a couple different kinds of people that are, that call. There's people that really are looking to change their lives. Um, then there's people that are looking to appease someone in their life or mm -hmm. there's someone calling for someone else mm -hmm. um who who needs who they think needs to change and mm -hmm. then there are people that are just looking to satisfy a court problem or those kinds of things we can help all of those people mm -hmm. um and because to give them a different I, the whole even the phone process is an educational process for people because there's such a culture in this country of you know <laughs> if you're sick um, or if you're if you have this problem behavior problem, even now if it's internet, we get people call for internet pornography, um, where they believe oh I can't control myself, yeah. and they believe that because someone told them told them they yeah. couldn't, yeah. you know. And even though most of us, and even when I had a drug problem, there was I could control myself when I had to, mm -hmm. you know. There was mm -hmm. a certain level of that there if I was being really honest with myself. But when I when I sought help, people told me oh no you can't. And so I started to believe that and re mm -hmm. you know, and, and talk about it myself. Um, so it's it's so I started believing I was sick and, and you know, initially I knew that I wasn't. I had to be convinced that I was. Um right. and that's the problem. Yeah, I think too that um myself that I had to be convinced that I was broken, un un unfixable when I was um that first part of that first step was twelve step 
and I was, of course, right. really, really young. You know, you and I talked a long time last week. And when I, yeah. as I've, uh, you know, when I left last year, it's been, it'll be a year at the end of this month. But it, well, looking back, the greatest resistance I had was that first part of that first step because I didn't feel powerless. In fact, I had stopped on my own when I really right. felt like I had had enough. Um, I stopped when I traveled because I knew it wouldn't be safe to do that. Um, when I hitchhiked all over the country, I never took any drugs with me. When the most drugs I used was, I used was pot, you know. But I didn't yeah. take any because it was very illegal back then, and I never drank a drop on the road because I knew right. I needed to be really fully alert and, you know, to be protected and not get in danger. And I still got in dangerous situations. But I find that you're... Your whole approach and your thinking is what a lot of the bloggers on Orange Papers, you know, or the forum, there's a forum there now, I don't know if you know that, but it's really full of a lot of people that believe this, but I think that in a culture, it's really wrong, and then you're told, so let's talk about, you have a background where you um, overused, I don't even like some of the words, I, I refuse to I use know. it, Michelle. Right? I, I hear it in you too. It's like I won't use even the word alcoholism. Like I'm like done. Even yeah. addiction. Like I'm going. You know what? It's the overuse. Okay, let's talk about the abuse and overuse. Um, so you let's tell a little bit about your background if you want. Into like uh, sure. Yeah. So I, I my background actually I I went to college for a bunch of different things. I ended up in psychology and honestly because it was easy mm-hmm. and because I needed to fix myself because I was a, a heavy substance user mm-hmm. and um and I did get to the point at the end where I ended up after three years in college had to drop out um because my substance use was so heavy and I ended up being hospitalized and. Um, you know, so so by all rights, I was I was qualified. I was a diagnosed as dual diagnosed before that was you know vogue with addiction and bipolar, mm-hmm. and um, and you know didn't my thankfully um, my father didn't believe in rehab, and um, he wouldn't send me to rehab, yeah. um, and so you know he basically told me that there's nothing wrong with you. Um, you uh, you just have a behavior problem and you got to shape up. And a lot of people will call and say that to me <laughs> and say, "Can you believe they said that to me?" And I'm like, "Well, it's 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 almost there. It's it's a good. Thankfully, that was the message that I got. And I said, mm-hmm. "Well, you're wrong because I know all about addiction. I studied it in college, which was the worst thing that kind of. It's it's like a doctor studying illnesses and knowing they have every one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I studied addiction, yeah. and I'm like, there you go. Yeah. And I'm bipolar." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I I always tell people this. I'm like bipolar for women. If you have a substance use problem, and it, you will be diagnosed with bipolar if you mm-hmm. do it long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we can be very emotional individuals, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. of course, uh, use of alcohol and drugs makes us go to to those extremes more often. And also, I think if people are um, physically abused or any way abused, like, you know, mm-hmm. say where I was sick, hit a lot by my dad when he was drunk, and then so violence, um, when I and yeah. when I did rage work, I did really good rage work uh, when I was like, 50, I was still in the program, obviously, but I was 15 years sober mm-hmm. and I had my son, and anyway, all the, it's feeling came up, and I did rage work with a PhD therapist who worked with anyone, any kind of abuse here in Los Angeles, and I was a different person after that. And yeah. you know, I think the sad thing, um, well, it's kind of a criminal, I think, in some ways. It's not criminal, but it's just horrible that about AA, so many people were told they they can't afford to get angry and, you know, and all this 
kind of wacko faith healing stuff when they really all need to go do rage work because many of um, people that I know grew up in abusive childhoods uh, and physically you can't write it away, you can't pray it away, you can't think it away and when you take a bat to a pillow or I know a guy who took a bat to went to a wrecking yard with his uh, friend of his and they you know asked if they could smash some cars to get out the rage he had and that physical work um, changed me forever. You know? Right, right, mm-hmm. right. It, it, it's and everybody comes to these things differently, but ultimately, in the end, um, we have to identify ourselves differently. And I think, you know, when people ask me, this is the the controversial side of our program, and that is, you know, that we don't teach people that abstinence is the only way. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we. We, what we recommend is just be abstinent long enough mm-hmm. to really build the life that you want and identify who you are, to really mm-hmm. be able to think about, um, you know, drinking differently. Mm-hmm. And and that's where, you know, I, I stayed sober for 20 years, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, because I really wanted to get to a point where, where I was a grown-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was dealing with these things on a grown-up level. Um, so uh, you just you become someone different. I also had uh, horrible blackout rage problems and real anger problems, mm-hmm. and and that was part of that all. I actually um, saw a, a holistic person for that, and um, and also worked with a uh, with a therapist who has been around our program since the beginning. So he's you know he's he's on board with our methodology, which is hard to find. Wow. Um, because most of them, most of them just want to send people to meetings and you know, you know, mm-hmm. to say the disease mantra, even though they don't believe it themselves, they'll recite it, and which is a, which is tragic. Um, but we, you know, he's been around us since the beginning. He's amazed at what we do, um, and you know, he he actually helped me to think differently about myself and mm-hmm. learn how to overcome those kinds of things. Also, when I had children, that's when it really became so important to me yeah. to, to change that behavior. Right, right. How, are you, how old are your kids now? 18, 16, and 13. Oh, okay, good. So you have a teen. I wanna, There's two things mm-hmm. that you talked about that I want to touch on because I think it's really important and it's part of the the aspect of this movement that I really want to promote, which is moderation. So we have Kenneth mm-hmm. Anderson. I see him. He's in the queue and I've interviewed him and bought his book and I had Drink Link Moderation. Um, uh, then I had Donna on, and I'm getting her. I just ordered uh, two of her books so that I can see what they're all about. But I really, really want to stop this train of that abstinence forever um, is the way to go right. for people who, especially those. So, uh, can you share about yourself? Uh, so, 20 years, I, I know, yeah. but I want our listeners to hear this. So, we kind of break. This is like the uncharted territory people don't want to talk about. So, it's um, very scary. Yes, it, it is for some people. But for me, like I haven't had a drop in 37, it's going to be 37 years. It's a very, very long time. Um, but anyway, for you, um, 20 years and you decide that. You know, we we had, we were moving into this territory here with the program because we're, we're watching the research. Yeah. And what was happening is as these surveys, we have – uh, outside organization do our surveys, and they would make these calls. They would call the individual, then they call a corroborating witness, usually the person that helped them get into the program. Mm-hmm. And what we were finding was is there was a certain percentage of people 
that had successfully moderated. For our purposes, they had to go in our drunk category, which I thought was tragic. Yeah. But the way we identified successful moderation was typically it would be something like this. Geez, you know, I came through your program for heroin when I was 21 years old. I'm not going to lie to you. I drink occasionally. Um, my life is great. You guys changed my life. And we're mm -hmm. like, oh, that's great, but well, you got to go in our drunk category. Then we call mm -hmm. their corroborating witness. The witness says they have no problems at all. You changed their life. So they corroborate it. So we had out of the, the you know, 40% of the people that say they're, I, because our program was abstinence-based for so long, yeah. 60% uh, are abstinent. But the 40% that weren't, more than half of them were saying that, geez, I successfully moderated my behaviors. And, um, it, you know, so we started seeing this going, something's going on here, and we really need to know what it is. Right. And that's when, you know, we really, we started researching one, moderation. Um, we have a couple board members, uh, you know, specifically Dr. David Hansen, who, who has talked a lot about that. He was, um, you know, I think he worked with Kenneth. And mm -hmm. so we mm -hmm. started really thinking about it, and I thought, if we're going to move in this direction, i got to know what it's all about. And it yeah. was I realized that there was still fear. I was still very much indoctrinated in the idea of abstinence forever. Yeah. Um, but I intellectually knew that there was something um, that, that, that obviously I can control myself, mm -hmm. I, that there's not a magical, mystical property to alcohol. Right. Um, and I was at a wedding, and it was very uneventful. We were doing a toast, and I said, I'm going to drink the champagne, and I did. And mm -hmm. nothing bad happened, and that was like three, more than three years ago now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> two years, well, two and a half years ago. And right. since then, I, you know, I, I really enjoy a glass of wine with dinner. Mm -hmm. um, I've tried a couple other, you know, mixed drinks that I used to drink. Not too fond of them. Yeah. <laughs> I can honestly say I, the taste is for it is gone. But right. I have I've not had more than two drinks uh, mm -hmm. because I don't I don't I don't want to feel out of control anymore. That's not my goal. Yeah. Um, and I so I've changed. I'm a different person basically. Right. Right. Very good. Very good. So uh, I have seen other bloggers tell this type of story that come have come on the Orange Papers blog more on there. And um, or people have contacted me directly, personally, um, through private email and told me their story. Um, but some of them didn't want to put it on the blogs. But um, yeah. So I, and now you have. Uh, so what year did you program um, change so that you could support people uh, if they wanted to moderate rather than be um, completely abstinent? Um, about when when our our last edition came out, which was two thousand and nine. I believe it was 2009. We always had an open stance on, um, you know, if people chose to go back to do that, we, we actually absolutely made no judgment. So there was always that possibility. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of our program, we present that. We present four options for people. You know, if you're coming to our program, the option one is abstinence, um, you know, lifetime abstinence. Option two is, uh, you know, uh, it actually is option one is you can change and be absent forever. Option two is you can you can continue drinking but change your life or you know not not produce absence. Option three is you can continue drinking and not change anything. I mean there's there's these different I forget how they're worded now. Right. Uh, but we always allowed for all possibilities and um, but then we 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 did push you know and even now we'll say look at abstinence is your safest choice. Mm -hmm. um you know with respect to substances and you know we're but know that in the event that you decide that this isn't the, the path you want to take it's okay with us we don't judge it right um, now so do you that, have a yeah i'm sorry 
I was going to say that opens the door for if they do encounter problems later. They they're not they're not ashamed to come back for help. That's right. I felt like um, you know I had talked to Tom Horvath from Smart and the need for like a support group for ex-steppers um, who've been traumatized or those who leave because of all right. the reasons why we leave. And one of the things that I would make in that support group is that if there were people who were moderately drinking, that they would not be judged. That it's not going to be you know right. who, who cares about your time, who cares about the years. Um, and that if someone left and had a horrible time but they just want support, that that would be available. And I think that's really needed. Now, I was wondering, do you have – I'm right now, I'm collecting literature and buying all the books from all these different people that I've interviewed because I'm going to begin to do an outreach to everywhere, from colleges to high schools. I'm going to speak at a PTA, my son's PTA, in two weeks, and I'm going to bring – Books. I'm going to bring Amy Lee Coy's book and Hank Hayes's book and Stanton Peel's book, and I'm going to talk about these other options as well as the dangers of Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step. And um, uh, so, do you have literature or a book about your philosophy? We we actually have the home program, and we also have an audio book of the home program that Dr. Joy Brown read for us and mm-hmm. also helped us edit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the, the, the that's a real shortened version of our program. It is a, a real good description of what we have to offer, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and and I am in the process of actually writing a book and a program for for families. Oh, good. Um, it's gonna oh, be, good. Yeah, 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 yeah but families, to really educate them. Right, they really need it because what I, what I see happens, as we talked about, when your family, your father did it to you and, you know, people mm-hmm. did it to me, you're an alcoholic, you know, at 17, here's the article. Right. I mean, I only had my grandmother doing that to me, um, but I do think that uh, the fa- I did it to my son, which was really wrong, and then when I stopped doing that to him and saying things that I got from rational recovery, from talking to Lois or talking to, um, you know, Tom Horvath and reading, you know, every book that I could get my hands on at that point, right, that as soon right. as I, we stopped saying that to our children, uh, there was this whole, like, you know, like it was yeah. more than that. I mean, but uh, so I do think it's important. I'm really glad to hear that you're writing that. But I could I get, like I'm saying, if there was even a pamphlet, do you have a pamphlet maybe that could t- that has your core beliefs on it that, Say you know at the top it says um, it, we're we're uh, a retreat you know you don't need to be um, treated uh, if you're not sick and you don't have a disease that's that's the yes, biggest thing yes like, we do we do have a, a little um, like brochure booklet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we hand out to people that talks about our retreat houses, talks about the different philosophy. Um, it's it's a it's a beautiful little like brochure, but it is a booklet. It's like t- eight or ten pages. Okay, so maybe um, I could <clears throat> maybe I could get a hold yeah. of that. I could buy that or you send it to me. Yeah, so. we could we could send you some definitely. Oh, mm-hmm. that would be great. So listeners, there's people in the chat room. Hi Gunther, Kenneth Anderson in the chat room. Amy Lee Coy is in there. Hi there, everybody. I don't know if anybody wants to call in. I'm going to give the number. We're talking to Michelle Dunbar, who's the executive director of the St. Jude's Retreats. And um, the number is 818-475-9211. It's 818-475-9211. So there are three places, it looks like, right? Are they all in mm-hmm. upstate New York, the three locations? Yes. Currently okay. they are. Um, they're about eight. People fly into Albany, and we provide transportation from the airport in Albany. 
Okay, and um, how long does somebody stay if they, if this, somebody calls you and they want to really want to just stop for themselves? And um, how long do they stay? And uh, and how much does it cost? Um, the Saint Jude program it, the, uh, is six weeks in length. Um, we also offer what we call a prep program, which is a personal review and enhancement program for people who want to stay a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, only about. 10 to 15% of people need more than six weeks Mm -hmm. um, to work on specific issues. Mm -hmm. Um, The six-week program itself, the costs vary depending on the location. Mm -hmm. We have uh, our Twin Rivers Retreat has dorm-style housing Mm. and uh, semi-private bedrooms. So you could, you know, from least expensive, a little more expensive, you just want one roommate. Um, Our Mountain Retreat has semi-private bedrooms and also private bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And then our Executive Retreat has just six beds. Um, they are all private, and three of them have private baths as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so the range and and cost is right around twelve thousand dollars for six weeks at the uh, in the dorm style rooms. And we do offer financing and scholarships and financial aid for people that that need help with that. Um, the semi private rooms are fifteen thousand, and private bedrooms start at eighteen thousand. And at the executive retreat, they go up from there. They're in the in the mid twenty range. Depending Mm-hmm. in the bedroom that you choose. Right, right. Um, so, uh, and do you get people, is it mostly people who are drinking, or what kind of people are coming now these days? You know, it's about 50-50, and it mm-hmm. really has remained about 50-50 over the last, I'd say since I've been here 10 years, where, uh, you know, 50% of the people are, are straight drinkers, um, and the other 50% are are doing other things, dabbling, you know, made up of uh, primarily right now the young people are are narcotics, and we've seen shifts in that over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but but mostly the opiates and narcotics and um, benzodiazepines is making a comeback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems to be, and um, which for a while there people didn't use them at all. It, when you know when we had the the cocaine and and crack generation really right. went this into is, this benzos. Is <laughs> one, this is the Xanax generation, and uh, this is, is the Xanax? Xanax and and uh, Xanax and heroin generation again. Wow. <laughs> it's wow. funny because things go they go around and round, and um, and you know we had these nice you know partnership for drug free America ads that came on not too long ago that informed our children that they could find great ways to get high in, in our medicine cabinets. Um, I was I remember my kids were about twelve or thirteen when that ad came out, and I was horrified. Um, that they yep. were teaching my children they could get high off Robitussin, yeah. <laughs> which they wouldn't have yeah, known. Yeah, really, really not irresponsible <laughs> ad. I agree. That was a terrible ad, and um, most people don't even think of some of the stuff, and uh, very irresponsible. And, um, yeah. Uh, um, so we have a, yeah. um, Amy Lee Coy is asking here in the chat room, do you take insurance? We do not work with insurance companies. We're in the great state of New York, and as uh, – New York State Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services pretty much uh, has a stranglehold on the treatment industry here. Um, we're actually considered an educational program, mm-hmm. um, and as such, uh, we're not a medical program at all, which we don't want to be a medical program, and we weren't willing to change our program to accommodate OASIS. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we were not willing yeah. to do that, so we are which is why we offer the the financial aid packages and also the fine, low cost financing for people. Interesting. I I kind of like that. So you're not they're not telling you how to run your retreat. Right. Yeah. So right. I'll make sure to not call it a program. 
Um, or can I call it a program? <laughs> you can. It is. A, it is considered a program. We are a substance use program. Substance. I don't even like to call it substance abuse. Oh, we're a, a program to help people with substance use. <laughs> <laughs> that's overuse what I call it program. Substance overuse. No, that's my new one. I was like, yeah, my father overused pills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're trying so desperately to change the vernacular so people have a. So it, people have a, just a different thought when they think of drug and alcohol problems because not everybody that drinks has a problem, right. even if they drink to what we think is in excess. Um, you know, that's a very moralistic judgment call that people make. You know, I mm-hmm. think he drinks too much. You know, right. I think she drinks too much. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's plenty of people who, you know, used to have their – maybe that's why these shows like Mad Men – um, are so popular because you know that was the in thing. It wasn't people weren't judged so much. Like you know, every star had a, a whiskey glass. In fact, I think the first time I worked That's as an right. extra on some uh, TV shows when I came to Hollywood in the '80s, and I was trying to be an actress and get my SAG card, um, that they would use. You know, you could have a choice of drinking a real beer on the set or. You know, not, and it was like, God forbid. Although I, I did hear there was a show where the star insisted they use real wine. It was like, come on, like this is ridiculous. Are girls supposed to be drinking <laughs> wine? And I guess if somebody didn't want to drink it, you know, they could put grape juice in there or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right, right. And you know what? <laughs> you go ahead. Yeah. For a while there, I think even the um, the culture moved away from drinking on screen. Um, you know, where it's funny when you watch old style movies and how much people were smoking and drinking and then they moved yeah. away from it. And I have noticed a resurgence of drinking, not smoking, but mm-hmm. I've noticed a resurgence of drinking on camera in a responsible manner, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily in a responsible manner. I mean, if you look at movies like Hangover and, and some of the movies, <laughs> Get Him to the Green, some of the movies that have been very funny that have, you know, glamorized right. that party lifestyle. Right. Um, I, I really think they've made a, it's made a huge comeback, which is, I think, such a interesting dichotomy of message because, you know, on the one hand, they're, you know, you're, you learn about these, these, stars that have you know that are in recovery and on the other hand you see them getting wasted on camera (laughs) it's just really really interesting i it it gives me a lot of a lot of humor (laughs) yeah i think so i I have like a whole list of shows i want to call up and say you know i really love your show but i've actually never seen that that character drink and you're doing an intervention on her like let's get real why don't you develop the character so that we see more than one scene of her hiding the bottle in her filing cabinet. And she's That's like, right. totally, or even Nurse Jackie, like, give me a break. The woman doesn't even act like an addict. Like, right, right. You know I, mean? I like the show because it's really women. There's a lot of great women characters on the show. And, uh, you know, but it's like, come on. Like, she doesn't really act yeah. like an addict. Like, okay, she sleeps around and she's like screwing in there. But her behavior is so sober. Yeah. 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 You know what I found interesting about like the show House, um, with his addiction issues is they never had him literally sober. Like he could oh you know, he he had a pill issue, but they didn't really follow through with the culture, which I thought was actually kind of positive, where, you know, he would go to a bar and still drink and nobody saw that as him relapsing even though in the recovery community, it would be considered that way. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, it's a, you know, I don't know if somebody just didn't do their homework on it, or or what that was about. But you know, I'm always hypersensitive to these shows that depict recovery. Oh um, yeah. And 
you know, mm-hmm. because it, it really does shape our culture, and and it's it's uh, and the misinformation is is troubling. Yeah, it's very troubling. We have a question from a chatter um, in the chat room. Amy asks, I think Stephen Slate. Um, does he mm-hmm. work with St. Jude's? Is this, is this the same place? Yes, he does. He is actually, we just opened a satellite office in Manhattan, um, and he is our instructor there. He meets one-on-one with people and takes them through the program on a, you know, whether they can sign up for, you know, three hours a week or whatever fits into their schedule on a a kind of a day program basis. This is great. This is really Mm -hmm. great, Michelle. That's really, this is how... You know, because when I see you way up there, kind of far away from everybody, away from the matting crowd, you know what I mean? And, and I'm like, no, no, this program is too great. We need you in the urban cities. <laughs> well, that is, he is our, we, we couldn't find a name, so we, we toyed with Metro program. Um, we do, he's our first, like, because he came through our program Gosh, ten years ago now. Yeah, I love um, him. And we really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he got his life together, and and his de- he's really done a lot of research. He's dabbled in life coaching. He's got his blog sl- mm-hmm. blog site, thecleanslate.org. dot org. Right. And he um so and he's always been in contact with us, and he is actually also working with us to on our thirteenth edition of our program. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been spending a lot of time with him here as well. Very, very interesting. This is good, good, really good. Um, so is there anything about the program of what you teach and your approaches that you could share with uh, the listeners? Um, you know, I think I think one of the most important, what, what's been consistent, because our program continuously has developed over the 20 years we've been here, mm-hmm. but what's been consistent is the message that we tell people when they first get here, which is that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's it's illuminating, it's enlightening, it's uplifting for people, and mm-hmm. to learn that, you know, even if they have, and let me tell you, over the last 10 years, um, we went from having a third of people dual diagnosed to well over half um, mm-hmm. that get here. I've been told they have all sorts of other mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in those cases, we say, look, at the jury's still out on that. Substance users are diagnosed with mental health issues all the time that don't exist mm-hmm. when they're not when they're you know when they get their lives together. Yeah. Um, we're going to help you realize the person that you want to be. Either in spite of your, and we must all understand that mental health conditions mean that you fall outside of one standard deviation from the mean of behavior. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong with you. It just means that you're not within this this bell curve of the norm. And um, and so so maybe a diagnosis is you know of your certain personality type may be accurate. But let's not look at it as a detriment or that there's something wrong with you. Let's let's figure out who we are and capitalize on on our strengths and minimize our weaknesses. Um, and I think that's that's what the program helps people to do. Um, uh, that's most important. God, I wish I you know would have gone there and uh, <laughs> and heard the kind of things. Uh, there's a few of us who say, yeah, we would have had really different lives by now if we would have yeah. stopped thinking we were broken forever and. You know, right. wow, that's so wonderful. So um, you said that what what do what's what's a day like in maybe the first week or two that you're there? What what do people do? You said well, you don't just sit that, around and have meetings, you know. No, not at all. Um, you know, the very first day that you're here, you go through an orientation with the program director, where he explains to you, you know, what you can expect. 
um, and introduces you to the staff and um, and some of the guests that are there that have been there a little bit longer. Um, then you have an orientation with your instructor or the director of education that's here that talks to you a, a little bit about um, the educational program itself. Um, you're in classes two to three times per day. Each class is about an hour in length. Mm -hmm. um, there are optional social activities that people can sign up for, and there are also optional classes. Mm -hmm. um, what, what we have a cognitive behavioral education was was what we built because we're not therapists, we're not providing therapy, which I lovingly refer to as a manipulative way to to help people. Um, mm -hmm. not that, and some people need it, and I understand. Yeah. You know, I'm not knocking therapy mm -hmm. uh, because I've. Yeah, I've utilized it, mm -hmm. um, but our program is really about making you your own therapist, helping you to be able to identify areas in your life you want to change, parts of your personality you want to to change, and and helping you to, to fix yourself so that when you leave and you mm -hmm. go on to the rest of your life, you'll be able to identify, geez, this isn't working for me, I'm going to adjust it. Um, Mm. So you so the, so it's all about option presentations. So we have a number of different activities you can sign up for um, on any given you know week, and then um, and we try to have a, a variety because we do have a variety of people um, that are here, age range from about 15 years old all the way up to I think the oldest person we had come through the program was 78, mm -hmm. and she left here and went to cooking school. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know she did really well. Um, and so we we have a variety of options. We have a career and academic advisor that you can have a you know kind of a, a an assessment with, so you can decide, geez, is what I'm doing in life making me happy? Is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, do I need to go back to school? Um, you're you're looking at a lot of different areas of your life that you've you know whatever you have found unsatisfying. Um, we can we can help you you know get to a point where. That's what you want to do. So you can, um, in addition to your classes, which are two to three people per instructor per class, mm -hmm. except at the executive retreat. The executive retreat is all private classes. Mm -hmm. um, you can also schedule private time with, um, we have a director and two assistants. You can schedule private time to meet with them. Um, you can, Like I said, you can schedule private time to meet with uh, uh, your instructor or one of the other instructors. Right. Um, and and you can, you know, you if you need um, medical attention while you're here, we can provide transportation and help you get to do, you know, to do that. Because some people do come in with, with certain medical issues they need addressed while they're here. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so it's a, it's a really open environment. We have bicycles. If people want to go for a bike ride, you sign right. out. Um, yeah. We're not, you know, we're not locking you in. If you've been gone kind of long, we might drug test you and breathalyze you when you get back. Um, because our, our primary, you know, we if you come here, you're going to sign a contract that says, well, I'm in, enrolled in your program. I'm not going to engage in, in, you know, drinking or substance use um, or, you know, certain certain behaviors. You know, I'm not going to be violent with another guest or a staff mm -hmm. member, and I'm not right, going to be... Right. Getting involved romantically, which we know can happen. Um, oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So for six weeks, you're basically you're basically saying I am going to I'm going to really work with you guys to change my life, and um, that's what we do. That sounds really, really great. Um, now, on a personal note, because uh, we talked a little bit about this, and I think um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of power and passion when we have children or we have a father. Mine died behind of what he wound up doing. 
So uh, your background, uh, did you grow up with parents that drink, or were they in AA, or what was it? I mean, I know, but let's let our listeners. What was your background <laughs> as a child? <laughs> my, my dad was a very heavy drinker and drug user. Um, he was highly successful, highly functional, mm-hmm. um, and got numerous DWIs. And in 1976, he was um, arrested and uh, thrown in jail. Because back then, pretty much they just brought you home if you were caught drinking and driving. Yeah. Um, but it was about his third or fourth offense, so they threw him in jail. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he was really on a fast career track. And basically he was told not just by, by the courts but by his boss that, look, if you don't get get your you know crap together you're going to have to you're going to have to go or you're going to end up in jail right. and so he was mandated to go to detox and then mandated to go to 12 months of AA meetings um which he did do and um you know he he never really bought the whole notion that he was sick there was anything wrong with him he mm-hmm. got in a real healthy lifestyle um where he was you know eating healthy and he started running and quit smoking and just really systematically changed his whole his whole identity, his whole life on his own. Was it 1976 um, when Rocky was, was that funny, that whole period where everybody was running exactly. in the streets with their sweats on? <laughs> and everybody and was running became the biggest thing. And he totally, he stopped eating red meat. I mean, he went off. He really did change things. You know, unfortunately for him, I know, unfortunately for him, 10 years later, he had a heart attack. I mean, oh, the damage no. was yeah, the damage was done. So wow. um, he had quit all this stuff and he changed it. But now, granted, uh, my thoughts are, had he not done those things, the heart attack would have killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but so, you know, he's, God bless him, he's seven, he turns 70 tomorrow. Um, That's great. <laughs> yeah, so That's he really so did change his life. He did. and But I was 10 at the time mm-hmm. when he got when he got sober. I was almost right. 10 years old. And... Um, you know, and he started with the, well, if you drink, you're going to be an alcoholic. You know that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know Ay-ay-ay. that. Right? T- he told me when I was 12, I was holding my mug of hot chocolate. He told me the way I was holding my mug of hot chocolate really me- meant I was going to be an alcoholic. Oh, my and God. And it was stuff that, yeah, oh, that's stuff crazy. that people were yeah, telling that's... him. Is that crazy? And I still yeah. remember to this day, you know, that that, was, that stuff is just so detrimental. Now, my grandfather, the scary thing is, is his dad um, died by himself alone in a, uh, you know, in a one-room efficiency apartment from NDTs. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he had sad, have been yeah. sober for years and relapsed, if, you know, I hate even that word. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what it was listed as his cause of death was uh, heart failure due to um, I think it was intense alcoholism or something like that. Mm, and that's sad. you know, and I was eight. I was eighteen. My dad had been sober a number of years at that point in time. Right. Um, and it was it was you know. But then I looked at it and I thought my grandfather um, was in and out of rehab uh, probably in forty over forty years, thirty years. He was in and out of rehab no less than twenty times. And oh my um, god! He, what, yeah, yeah, what rehab was that? He was in and out of psychiatric hospitals um, in Watertown, New York. Um, I'm not sure what rehabs, but all over New York State, he had been to a number of different rehabs all over New York State. Um, between, 19, between the time he got back from World War II, um, which was the late 40s, right up until mm-hmm. um, the 80s. So it really was uh, it really was nearly 40 years of in and out of treatment in AA. And, um, and he had told me, 
he stayed sober while my dad um, was having his problems. He was taking care of us, and he was sober during that mm-hmm. time for mm-hmm. a good four years. Yeah. Um, and he told me, well, I'm an alcoholic, and you know I'm going to die of alcoholism someday. Mm-hmm. He would tell me that. You know, and, and that's when I started really doing the research, and I thought, wow, he planned his death, you know, fully 10 years before he died because people told him that's how he was going to die. He was only 68 years old. Wow. 68, I want to say he was late 60s, but he wasn't 70 yet. Such brainwashing, such brainwashing, and a lot of it's in the culture. I mean, even uh, my son is doing a paper, and he's going to do it on education, ed- educating on moderation and that you're not powerless right. over a substance, how ridiculous that is. And um, so I think it would be great because, you know, every, every person who kind of shines a light on it and talks about that it's not a disease, and then you can't have people coming and saying, I'm a sex addict. It's like what? It's a disease. A, a disease so you're, because you, you're you're having uh, you're you're sleeping around. I mean, I just like right. I, I'm at a point where, and, and you know, it just goes in the whole culture I, that I think you know really has to be a huge shift. And thank God for you know your program. But I do think that big companies and um, they need to know that. Um, you know that other things exist in other ways, and this is so great. I think I'm going to have to call Stephen Slate up again and have him on, and he can talk about this Definitely. great new uh, thing going on in New York. Now, you so you have teenagers, and um, and how do you? What's your approach in your house about um, alcohol? And uh, you know, obviously you have to be 21 in California. I think every state now is it? You do everywhere, yeah. Um, yeah, and we're not even allowed in New York. <laughs> in New York, we're you know in your own home. You're not. I think in some states, in your own home, um, somebody can't come in and say no. You can't serve your kids alcohol. Um, but in New York, you can't. If I serve my kids alcohol, then I'm uh, in, you know endangering the welfare of a child. Um, really? But what, yeah, but what my that's one of the reasons. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that I said, geez, I really do need to show my kids responsible use of alcohol, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I, I, my son had to have surgery and had to be on opiates, and, you know, he said to me, Mom, I learned this in school, but I might get addicted to this while I'm on it, and I said, that's crap. <laughs> I mean, I was blatant about it. I go, why would they teach you that? You're going to be on it for a week after your mm-hmm. surgery, and because it's going to make you feel so you can move around. You know, it's going to make you feel good enough to get up and move around, which is so important in recovery from from surgery. Right. Um, you know, so so it's important for me to show them responsible substance use and that it's a state of mind. Um, and I have I have offered it. Um, my kids at that were at that wedding with me, and they each got to taste champagne, and they were so mm-hmm. excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not taboo at mm-hmm. all in my house. Mm-hmm. And my kids are vocal in school, and I have pulled them out of certain drug awareness programs mm-hmm. um, because I think that they're harmful. Mm-hmm. And um, and my kids will be all three of them will be vocal and say it's not a disease. They'll stand right up. I've had calls from the school. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. But now I have the school. Yeah. Now I have the school inviting me in to talk, though. Um. Good. You know, Good. they're they're curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really. I think that uh, you definitely want this because um, Anthony had told me that in freshman health class, the teachers were saying to go to an AA meeting as like research. Yeah. 
And I'm like, no, 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 what? They're going to go to, like, the Marina Center in West L.A. where they, it's just disgusting. There's, like, no one in oh, charge. There's no, I mean, it's so just dangerous. the worst. It's dangerous. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's the worst. And you do, That's that from somebody so who's irre- never been. What's that? That's from somebody who's never been, who's yeah. never had to go to an AA meeting. I mean, that that is... I, they would never allow it. Never. No, no. And in fact, we had um, there was a problem uh, in a town called Nutley, New Jersey, with meetings at a church where there was no parking, and um, the neighbors were up in arms and being harassed, and you know, they were parking in front of their house and um, being actually sexually harassed, like in threatening people as they walked to their meeting. Most of this was actually an NA group. And um, the woman who I spoke to, who was, you know, she had a PhD. And anyway, she was educated, and it's a lovely little neighborhood. And she thought that AA and NA meetings were run by a trained, like, either therapist. Yeah. And when I told her how rogue it was, she really got the picture and went down there and saw it and was furious. And I, then we let them know that the third-level sex offenders were, be sent, were being sentenced to, you know, AA and NA meetings. With the meeting. court. I mean, there's so much work to do, Michelle. It is I know. unbelievable at the level of stupidity uh, and the co- the word of, I don't know what coercion, that's not the word, but the, the in bed with AA and 12-step uh, or the government and the insurance. and. Yeah. But but the judges, I mean, how can a judge, you know, do that? So I'm so happy to have, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about your program and could tell it was none. But now speaking to you, I really uh, encourage anyone to go to the site. It is um, St. Jude's, let me see if you just Google St. Jude Retreats, um, St. Jude yep. Retreathouse.com. And um, there are three places. We're talking with Michelle Dunbar, and uh, and she is the executive director of the St. Jude's Retreat. And so how many employees, would you say, are involved in all three places? We have about 65 employees, most of them Ooh. full-time. Yeah, it's a lot we of people. Do. Yeah. It's a lot of people to serve 50 people. Yeah. Um, it requires that. It's it's the thing that the primary difference between what we do and and treatment also is that it's it's personally you have a personal investment in each of your guests. Right. Um. And I, you know, it, our biggest house is 24 guests, and we're actually decreasing that capacity this year. We're renovating the bedrooms, and that's our Twin Rivers retreat. Mm-hmm. Um. So that the the most guests we'll have in one room is going to be four. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's it. You know, it's going to be a large, sweet type room, and and we'll have 18 people at that retreat um, when when we're done with our renovations. It looks beautiful, you know. and I'm just reading on the website for um, those who maybe want to try something different. It says here, um, in the evening, guests um, are not bust out to 12 step. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> They're not though. <laughs> It says guests can also watch movies in our home theater, play chess, read or watch television in the parlor, or spend time visiting with new friends. During the weekend activities, there are also um, activities like rock climbing, movies, laser tag. Ooh, laser tag, that's for the youth, right? (laughs) Bowling, beards, horseback riding, mini golf, go-karts, batting cages, boat rides, animal land, outlet shopping, snow tubbing, and ice skating, etc., um, sounds good. Uh, really, really good. Uh, so uh, I think we should have you back. Uh, don't you think so? Okay. I think um, I do. 
Um, really, uh, so we have about four minutes left to the show. Does anybody want to call in and ask a quick question um, or make a comment? 818-475-9211. What would you say uh, if you could change things the way they are in our country with uh, addiction? What would it look like if you could change it? Um, well, we'd start uh, we'd start educating. Oh, basically, we'd triage at this point because we would need to edu- re-educate people about behaviors and control over their own behaviors. Um, and we'd start that very, very young, um, you know, where k- kids are supposed to be learning once they get to middle school and adolescence how to go from this being this very self-centered uh, individual that is, is set up that way to survive um, mm-hmm. to being, an, you know, a more more outwardly centered individual, but also learning that the person I have control over is me. I have control over my behaviors all the time. I have control mm-hmm. over my thoughts. Um, and really learning uh, personal responsibility and accountability. Because um, I think that our country has moved so far from that at this point that somebody like Tiger Woods can, you know, get caught cheating on his wife and all of a sudden he goes to rehab and, oh, poor Tiger. Um, you know, yeah. and now, of course, golf game has suffered. And my theory is his golf game has suffered because he's relinquished his control. He's told mm-hmm. people, I don't have control over my behavior. Golf requires uh, such a high level of control over your emotions and behavior um, and thoughts that because he's relinquished it, you know, the fact that he won one, I was kind of hoping he, he kind of got it back. Um, but after his performance last week, I'm thinking, you know, maybe not. Once we allow people to, to teach us that we are powerless over anything, mm-hmm. then we're powerless over everything. Yeah, um, and mm-hmm. and I I think that if we change one thing in our culture, it's to it's to go back to a culture where each person is personally responsible for the choices that they make. Yeah, I self discipline. You know, when was yeah. that a word that we've heard in you know in school or teaching self discipline or self will? I was reading a, even a Yogananda, um, parama, you know, Yogananda book from the seventies, a little meditation yeah. book that I used to read, and some of it is. You know, I was like, nah, forget it. It sounds very culty. But there were pages in it where he was talking about discipline and our self-will and and changing behavior that we didn't like, um, that we're in control. You know, it just talked a lot about self-discipline. And you see that in martial arts and you see it in Asian culture that I don't think has embraced any kind of 12-step, you know, powerless modality. That's exactly right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that these cultures that... Um, and uh, people who have that in them, are, are that's not going to work for. And so I do think it's important. I think education, just like you said, is really important, which is what I'm going to create, a nonprofit. I just bought the domains last night, and I'm going to begin, and it's about empowerment. Um, yeah. Yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can talk some more, but I am so happy to have you on. We've been talking with Michelle Dunbar from the... St. Jude's Retreat in upstate New York. Uh, go online and uh, check it out. And uh, it was great talking with you. And a thank you. Thank everybody in the chat room, Kenneth Anderson, Amy Lee, and a few unknown guests. And Gunther was in there. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you so much. Okay. Talk bye to bye. you again. All right. Bye-bye.